In developing its budget requests, the Defense Department has been trying to reallocate its money to better match its strategy, namely be prepared to take on China and Russia. But the delay in final budget approvals can take a toll on planning and on carrying out plans. Data analysts at Govini have been looking at this issue and joining me with some insights. Govini Senior Vice President Jim Mitri. Jim, good to have you back. Morning, Tom. Let's look at what was passed and signed at last for 2020. Does it pretty much look like the budget request for DOD that went in, golly, a year ago? Yes, it does. Uh, in large part, it is uh, where, where it comes to the strategy and the department's ability to implement it, the first question is always, is Congress, in fact, providing the department with sufficient resources to be able to execute its strategy? And the appropriation is coming in at around $738 billion, which is a $20 billion increase from last year's request, and is certainly sufficient, uh, according to the department's own target, for what it needs to execute the strategy. And what did you find in your analysis of the Overseas Contingency Operations, the OCO, which looked kind of big to me around, I think it was something like $70 billion, $71 billion, at a time when some, supposedly we're pulling back on some of the, the Middle Eastern commitments? Right. So there are some changes between what the department requested and Congress it provided in terms of Overseas Contingency Operations account and how to think about the ongoing missions in Iraq and Afghanistan, for sure. Uh, you know, when it comes to that type of issue, though, there's a big question here about whether or not the department's resources are actually going towards the NDS priorities in terms of China and Russia, or if, in fact, they're being pulled into other theaters and other lesser priorities, like uh, deterring Iran, for example. And that is something Congress has been keenly uh, interested in and paying attention to. Um, the short answer there is, the department's getting enough money that, in fact, some of those hard trade-offs aren't impacting its ability to execute the strategy so much today. Uh, this could be an issue with, if it continues over time, that the department's continuing to flow more resources into the Middle East, that the strategy could start to bend or potentially break. But while it's getting this level of funding, uh, that's actually probably not the, the biggest problem in terms of freeing up resources to focus on the key capabilities it would need for China or Russia. And let's talk about the issue of the calendar offset. We are one-third into the fiscal year already, and only now are the appropriations coming in. What effect does that have on the ability to execute on plans, even if they are funded? It's been a long thorn in the department's side when it doesn't get from Congress timely passage of its legislation, both authorization and appropriations legislation. Uh, so there were a number of programs that haven't been able to get off the ground, you know, two and a half months into the fiscal year and now just uh, on the verge of getting the, the ability to start putting money on, on new starts and things like that. It is disruptive. Um, there's, you know, different folks will debate the amount to which that's a problem, uh, but it's certainly it's on the order of uh, a few billion dollars uh, per month where that is uh, undermining the buying power of the department. And what about contractors that are waiting for this money to come through so they can go ahead with plans that they've discussed already with the department? Yeah, absolutely. It has an impact on, on contractors as well, you know, folks that are potentially going to hire people to come and do new work. The defense industrial base uh, that provides the key capabilities and systems for the Department of Defense is not as robust and resilient as it once was. So you have many folks that work in positions, shipbuilding, for example, that are dependent on particular contracts to come through in order to have a job and continue working there. So uh, that does create a lot of stress within a relatively brittle system. We're speaking with Jim Mitri, Senior Vice President at Govini. And have you analyzed some of the non 
tooth costs. That is the health care costs and family relocation costs and housing and all of that money that is necessary to support an all-volunteer force. What are the trends that we can see in 2020 there? It's a very interesting picture in terms of what happens with the defense budget after 2020. Uh, so this year, there is a $20 billion increase, and that's good uh, for the department to be able to free up resources for modernizing the force to be able to take on the Chinese and the Russians for sure. But as you start to look into the out years, uh, there's two key dynamics that put pressure on the department's ability to make the right types of investments. The first is that the overall budget top line probably isn't going to change based on political leanings within the Hill and uh, congressional sentiment more broadly. Uh, it's gonna be very difficult for the department to actually achieve more money than, than where, where it is now over the out years. The second thing is, and Tom, you're putting your finger on it, there's rising costs in personnel uh, and in operations and maintenance that are gonna put pressure on a fixed budget. So when you have things like pay growth for troops at 3% every year and health costs associated with that increasing on a regular basis, and you have things like new equipment like F-35s, for example, that cost $40,000 per hour to fly relative to F-16s, which are in, in greater numbers in the force right now, that are about $20,000 an hour to fly. Those types of changes uh, are going to make it harder for the department to invest in research and development. And the research and development account is actually the only one that is going down over the out years. Uh, and that could be a big problem because as you think about the strategy and a focus on trying to keep pace, if not maintain a military advantage with regard to the Chinese, there's a real necessity for the department to maintain its technological advantage. And that type of advantage is only going to come through sustained investment in science and technology and prototyping and things of that nature. And zeroing in on one of the areas of that technological advantage, artificial intelligence, what does the funding picture look like for DOD there? Because they have stated the need to really get up in front of artificial intelligence, and there's some money for it. Is it sufficient or is it growing? The artificial intelligence is a very interesting case. On the positive side, over the last two years, since the National Defense Strategy has come out, the AI budget has actually doubled. And that's in large part thanks to the work of the Joint AI Center, a new uh, organization the department set up to focus explicitly on AI, as well as DARPA is, uh, is spending much more time thinking about game-changing technologies related to artificial intelligence. But when you pair AI up with robotics and you think about unmanned systems, it's a little bit of a different story. Uh, the department's R&D investments in 6.1 through 6.4 accounts, which are really are the most foundational elements of research and development, that the budget there has is, is five times higher for manned platforms than it is for unmanned platforms. Now, that's not to say that we don't need manned platforms in the future and shouldn't invest in science and technology related to that. That's all well and good. But having that difference in magnitude of you know five times different uh, investment uh, prioritization might lead to a, an outcome where the mix isn't quite right. Uh, so that's something the department should probably pay a little bit more attention to. And just a final unrelated question, but uh, to artificial intelligence, and that is getting back to the platforms. You mentioned the F-35. There are a couple of carriers about to launch, and there's still that strategy, at least on paper, of a much larger Navy. And then on the Air Force mm -hmm. side, they still haven't really settled 
the final version of the new tanker, of which they're supposed to have really been in service by now. They've only got one prototype, I think, that's flying. So will those programs, shipbuilding and the new tanker, those types of things that are needed in the future, still on paper, will they will there be enough money for the kinds of quantities they want? And if they can't get the quantities they want, what will that do for the price? Submarines, too. That's one of the cosmic questions the department's trying to grapple with right now. So the Navy has their plan for a 355-ship Navy. The Air Force has previously talked about 386 operational squadrons. Uh, and what you're seeing is some active debate on exactly this point, if the department's making the right trade-offs between capacity and capabilities. Uh, the Commandant of the Marine Corps, for example, has actually been relatively uh, frank in public statements talking about the need to potentially shift from an over-reliance on a few number of exquisite and large platforms uh, and thinking more about distributed operations and having a force that is a little bit more capable uh, in a contested environment, which we might face against the Chinese or the Russians. So I don't know if the department is going to answer that question this year. I think this is one of those issues that is uh, needs to be regularly reviewed and examined over time. And a lot of good data and analytics is going to be necessary to help inform those types of trade-offs and figure out whether or not, in fact, the right return on investment comes out of particular large, uh, large bets on future weapon systems. Jim Mitri, a senior vice president at Govini, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. A real pleasure. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your device. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash Podcast One to learn more and start your free trial.